Yes, big day tomorrow. We've got a lot to be thankful for in this country. We welcome all of you that have joined us, wherever you're watching us from, uh, that will get this podcast. And uh, in this country, we've got a lot to be thankful for. I know there's frustrations in some ways with a lot of stuff that people do against God, but... Uh, and then uh, all of us individually have a lot to be thankful for. I think I mentioned this last week that Hanukkah was a holiday that the people themselves started in response to God giving them the victory. It wasn't one of the feasts that God instituted like uh, Passover and uh, trumpets and all that. But it was a response of the people to show God their appreciation for His victory. And I think that's what our forefathers intended. You know, to show God, to let God know we appreciate what He's done for us. And, uh, it shouldn't be relegated to one day, of course, but uh, we certainly should take time tomorrow. And of course, me and my family got a lot to be thankful for this year, all that's uh, been in front of us. So let's pray, and we're going to dig around some of the same spots tonight and see if we can get in Revelation chapter 1. But we really need to understand some stuff here so that when we start journeying through there, you'll get it, get a hold of what we're trying to do. Excuse me, what the Word's trying to do. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all the good things you do. You said that we should give thanks always and in everything. And so we pray that as we uh, study your Word tonight, that you would give us understanding. We pray that as we enter into tomorrow as Americans, that we would... Uh, be thankful in so many ways for all the good things you've given us and to be reminded that you have been so good to us. We pray, Lord, that we'll learn and understand the end of time so that we can be more effective witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 9. Let's go back to verse 20. <clears throat> and let's, I'm going to talk about a couple of things here. And first, before we go there, let's go to Matthew chapter 24, and let's look at verse 15. So, <clears throat> the devil is always trying to get us to doubt. That's how he works, right? He's a doubter. He wants us to doubt and not believe, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in verse, there's a lot of skeptics with the Bible, and some of them are even inside the church and theological seminaries and all that stuff. But what I want, to, I want you to see first is how God... There's a lot of people that say Daniel didn't write this and that it's a bunch of hogwash. Do y'all use that word up here, hogwash? Um, and so, I want to show you what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 15. There, this is in red. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. So, he gives him credit for what he shared. <coughs> Excuse me. And so let's look at, uh, let's go back to Daniel. And let's, let me take you to verse, uh, let me take you to chapter 12, then we'll come back to 9. In Daniel chapter 12, Jesus referenced this in verse 11. Uh, and he says in Daniel 12 and 11, and from that the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, 
and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And then we'll be working with all that in another section of Revelation. But I just want you to see that God, or excuse me, Jesus confirmed that Daniel was the guy sharing all this with us. Now, in, ver- in chapter 9, verse 20, I want to go through this again because there's a lot of false doctrine teaching out there that says that the things that Jesus spoke about at the end of time, Revelation, all that stuff's already passed. And in fact, if you go to Thessalonians, one of those epistles, Paul's writing those guys and reminding them because they were afraid that the Lord had come and they had missed it. Somebody had tried to deceive them, and so he was writing to tell them, hey, that day will not come unless, and then he gives them some signs. So in verse 20 it says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So Gabriel's shown up to give him some understanding. And like I said last week, no pun intended, that the word weak is, doesn't mean weak. <laughs> so we struggle sometimes bringing over words to our English language. So this Hebrew word is Shabuah, and it means a period of seven. Okay, so Hebrew is the most contextual language I know of, and it, you got to understand. And we're gonna—I'm gonna clear this up. You'll see it clearly when I get done here in just a few minutes. You have—it has to be. So you have to read the whole context to understand if he. This word Shabuah can mean seven days. It can mean seven years. It could mean seven months. It could mean seven minutes. It can mean a lot. They use that word to illustrate a period of seven. And then the context of what's around it, you'll know whether he's talking about days, weeks, months, or years. In this case, it's years. And you'll see that plainly, I think, when I get done. Uh, The Hebrew and Greek language is a little more extensive than the English language. I know the English language is crazy in a lot of ways. but uh, So you, when you come to the Greek, they, they can do things we can't do. Like, they can use, they, can, they have two words for under. And so, if, if they use one word, you know that they're talking about being under something physically. If they use the other word, you know they're talking about being under something emotionally. That's how the Greeks... So, we can't do that with the English language. We've got to have all kinds of adjectives and stuff to describe what we're talking about, right? If you say, I'm under it, then we need some more words in there to decide if you're under a car working on it or if you're under an emotional strain or whatever. And so, the Hebrew and Greek are pretty, pretty good languages to be uh, described things. And then he says, 70 Shabuas, 70 sevens would be the, a good way to read that are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, 
to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That stuff's not happened. Uh, did you all, we woke up this morning to another mass shooting, didn't we? Somebody killed a bunch of people at Walmart in Virginia. I mean, it's everywhere. Sin has not stopped. And according to what he's saying here, when this prophecy's over, sin will be done. And so that right there refutes all these people that are saying all this stuff's already happened. <laughs> you got to be blind. Well, you, don't even, you could even be blind and still not know, or still know that this world is full of sin. I mean, it's everywhere. And so these things have not happened. There's not been, uh, there's not finished transgressions. We still see the results of sin. It's happening every day. Sin has not been made an end of. There's not been any reconciliation for iniquity. And everlasting righteousness has not been brought in. And, and the most holy, which is Jesus, has not been anointed king of kings over the whole earth. He's waiting for that when he comes back. So these things have not happened. So that refutes, uh, I wish people would read their Bibles. Now, th th how many remember who Sir Isaac Newton was? He was, a, he was a, a Christian, a believer, a solid believer from everything I could read about him. This is what he said. I want you to listen to this. This is prophetic. This is what he said. He said, about the time of the end, speaking of the end of time, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies of the Bible and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. We're in the minority, right? We're in the minority. We're, we're holding to the fact that what Jesus said is going to come to pass. We believe that. A lot of people make it allegories. A lot of people say it's already happened. But he said in the last days, Sir Isaac Newton said, there's going to be some guys who turn their attention to prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of clamor and opposition. And what's sad about that, it's not the, mostly the world. They don't even understand prophecy. They, most of them don't even. Uh, but it's inside the church. And I, I read a sign one time on a church that said, um, and I thought this is pretty... Straight to the point. It said the devil don't want to shut the church down. He wants to run it. He can do more damage running it. You know, how many people are getting deceived? I, I, I've seen some of my closest friends buy into some of this stuff. And I want to know why they're not holding on to the Scripture. And realizing, hey, when this thing's over, all the things Jesus and Daniel and these prophets talked about... There ain't going to be any more sin. Well, we're a long way from that. There's sin everywhere. So he says there's going to be some men that are going to stand their ground, but we're going to be in the minority. Us people that believe that what Jesus said is going to come to pass. Now, remember in the New Testament, the rich man had died and Lazarus had died. The rich man went to hell. Lazarus went to... Abraham's bosom or paradise. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the rich man looks up and says, Send Lazarus back to my brothers and let him tell them so they don't come to this place where I'm at. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said they have the law 
or Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, they won't believe one though he rises from the dead. And you know, Lazarus did rise from the dead. And, but I think he was speaking of himself there. And look at us. Most of the world don't believe in Jesus, even though he rose from the dead. And here's what we give too much ground over. Jesus rose from the dead, not just proven by our Bible, but proven by the Jews and the Romans both. They all testified. Let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. We don't need to give up that ground. Because a lot of people, that's their thing, right? To throw back at us. Well, that's what the Bible said. Well, yeah, but the, the Jews and the Romans testified that Jesus... In fact, the Bible bears this out. And some of the Roman writings I've read bear this out too. That They tried to pay people off to get them to say that He hadn't risen from the dead. They felt threatened. And so Jesus is going to come back and be anointed. Now listen to what He says. Now, therefore, understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, which is Jesus the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now that gives us, or sevens, Shabuas. That gives us 69, right? And last week I really went into this, 69 sevens. That last seven is the thing that Jesus talks about, the seven years of great tribulation. He's not the only one who talks about it, but he, he gives us a great discourse on Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. So he talks about this last seven-year period. Now, I'm going to show you why we can definitively say that he was talking about 77-year periods, okay, which makes 400 and 90 years. And what he's telling Daniel, that 490 years have been determined on your people to make an end of everything and to anoint the most holy. So 69 equals 483. All right? Now, the Bible's already separated that force. You see that? It says there's going to be 7 and 62. Then the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62, you got the 7, then the 62 come. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. He's going to die for us, right? So at the end of 69 weeks, or 69 seven-year periods, which is 483, um, then Messiah is going to be cut off. Now, the, he, he says... To re, the commandment goes forth. We know when this start. We know when this started. We know when these first sixty nine weeks started. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. And I'll show you. In Nehemiah, it's where it shows us that these weeks started. Let's go to uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter two, I believe. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. I'm trying to get there. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Look at what he says. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of the king Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never seen, been sad in his presence. 
Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city of the place of my father's tombs lies waste, the gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my fathers, that I may rebuild it. And he did. So that is where this prophecy hinges. These first 69 seven-year periods start with the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. He tells us when that happens. It's in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. Even the world, the Encyclopedia Britannica, which is not known for being overly Christian friendly, tells us that Artaxerxes' reign started in 465 B.C. 465 B.C. So this commandment for to go forth and build happened 20 years after that. So that would be 445 B.C. Seven, 69, 69 year periods adds up to 173,880 days. This may solve the equation if people were honest and open enough about it. From March the 14th, to 445,000, which is Nisan or Nisan. All right, he said in the 20th year, King uh, came to pass in the month of Nisan, and he goes on to give us the dates. The, from Nisan in 445, the end of that would be April the 6th, 32 AD. And Jesus' first year would be counted as zero. So. Those 69 seven-year periods started and ended there, which is exactly the time that Messiah that would have been cut off. So now we see these first 69 seven-year periods. Now, when you go in the New Testament, Jesus had a question asked him. He said, I believe it was Peter said, how many times do we have to forgive somebody? Right? Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> how many times I got he said 70 times 7. What's that come out to be? 490. Now, Jesus knew that we weren't going to have to forgive somebody 490 times in one day. I mean, I doubt anybody's ever been, except for the Lord. He's probably been sinned against 490 times in one day. What was he saying? Because an end is made with these 77-year periods, he's saying you've got to keep forgiving until this thing's over. You're not allowed to have unforgiveness. And it's hard sometimes, I understand that. Now, why were we able to separate the 69th from the 70th? Well, number one, Daniel does it here. He does it. Because, let's go back to Daniel and I'll show you what he's saying here. He says, after 69, Messiah is going to be cut off. And that's the time frame he would have been cut off. He said, after he's cut off, he said, he's going to be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come. So there's a people around working, and they're going to be used to sacrifice the Messiah, quote unquote, 
And this prince that's going to come, which is the Antichrist, is going to be a part of this people group. He shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So what happened after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead? In 70 AD, the city was destroyed again. It was rebuilt starting in 445. And then after Jesus was Messiah or was crucified and rose from the dead, then it was destroyed again. Rome came in and ransacked it. Now, if you remember, the and, I, and we'll get into more of this, the, the, uh, the, the statue that Daniel saw, or excuse me, that Nebuchadnezzar saw, that Daniel interpreted, it had all these empires. But then it had the Roman Empire. There's a beautiful picture of it because this statue had Babylon. It come down and Rome became divided over time, east and west. So the legs were a perfect way to show that it was Rome. And then Rome... Is they weren't conquered like these other empires. They fell from within. So most theologians, and I believe it's true too, because we talked about Rome last week, the seven hills. The toes and the feet is Rome coming back to life. And you can see all those parts getting ready already over there in, in, in Europe. And that's where the Antichrist is going to come out of. We don't know which particular country. It's just going to be that old Roman empire put back together. So there's going to be those people who are the same people of the Antichrist is going to come down the road. They're going to come in and overthrow the city. And they did in AD 70. They ransacked it. He says, they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And they did. And he says, until the end of war, in verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week or one Shabuah. So this prince that's going to come from this earlier people, the Antichrist, there's our other Shabuah. There it is, separated from the first 69. So we're not taking any liberty here. The Bible did it. Why? Because after A.D. 70, Israel didn't even exist as a nation. They were gone. They only went back home in 1948. They went back home in 1948 because they're getting ready for the end of time. God was bringing them home and getting them ready for the end of time. So here's that last Shabuah. And here it is, Jesus talks about it, the seven years of tribulation. It's actually called the seven years of great tribulation. And the Bible says it like this, like the world has never seen. If you think it's tough now, dealing with the devil, miss the rapture and get left, excuse me, get left here to deal with God's wrath. The devil can't hold God or light because the devil does everything from an evil perspective. God does everything from righteousness. His judgment is righteous. It's true. It's perfect. And so there's our 70th week. So let's, let's sum up some of this. I want you to get this in your spirit so that you can defend the Bible when people do th crazy stuff with it. One of the ways we know that this sin is going to be here is because sin is going to be done away with. That certainly hasn't happened. Does anybody live in a world where there's no sin? If you do, raise your hand because I'm moving in with you. <laughs> We, we don't, right? The, uh, so iniquity, all that's still here. So we find those first 69, seven-year periods, and we have direct clues, direct evidence of when they happened. When Jerusalem went back, the commandment to rebuild it was in 445. That ends in April the 6th, which is 32 AD, which is right at the time of Jesus being crucified. 
And so all that falls in line. So we find that 70th, seven-year period here. And then when we get into the New Testament, we start getting it expounded on. He said he's going to confirm, this Antichrist guy is going to confirm a covenant with many for a seven-year period. But in the middle of that seven years, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And the wing on, and on the wing of abominations shall, uh, shall be one who makes desolate. And it's just what I just read when we started this. Jesus said, when you read about, when you see what Daniel re- told us about the abomination of desolation, Jesus called it the same thing. So these guys, Jesus and Daniel are on the same page. Daniel was beloved of God. He was given so much insight. But the Bible said, seal this up because the time of the end's not yet, right? So now we're unfolding it because we got the New Testament. We got John writing the book of Revelation, which is the beautiful companion to hear. And he says, uh, he'll confirm this covenant, but in the middle of the week, he'll bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. He'll cause this abomination of desolation. And we were talking earlier before church that that's when the Jews are going to realize that they miss Jesus. The Jews as a whole don't believe that Jesus has come yet. Now, some of them do. We call them Messianic Jews. But they don't believe as a group that Jesus has come yet. And so, but they do. Here's what a lot of people don't understand. They do believe in the Messiah. They're waiting for Him. But Paul told us in Romans 11, they were blinded because of their sin, their unbelief. So when Jesus showed up, they didn't recognize Him. Then the Gentiles had a time where they were wooed in. So right in the middle of this seven years, three and a half years in, is when this is going to take place, what Daniel's talking about and Jesus mentioned. When this happens in the middle of the tribulation, the abomination, I just abbreviate that, of desolation, that's when the Jews' eyes are going to be open and they're going to realize they missed the Messiah. They're going to realize this guy's Antichrist. They, they know all that. In fact, if you've got a, uh, a Jew who is serious about their relationship, and they just studied the Old Testament, they don't look at the New Testament, uh, an Orthodox Jew, then they understand that what happened in, in, in uh, Egypt is a picture of the end of time. All those plagues, they understand that. So their eyes are going to be open in the middle of this tribulation period with what Jesus and Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. So the Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to make a covenant or a pact with them, act like he's on their side, and then he's going to turn on them. Because the devil hates everything God's doing. So when, when the babies were born, just like Moses, the devil tried to kill them all. When Jesus was born, Herod tried to kill them all. The devil is trying to stop God's plan. But the good news for us is he cannot. So let's, let's go to Luke chapter 21. Let me start in verse. Um, let me start in verse twenty. I want to back up. We didn't get into all this. He says, "But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her." For these are the days of vengeance. All things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies. In those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive to all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That passage is about A.D. 70. It's clear. 
But it was still prophecy when Jesus spoke it because he, he was crucified in 32 AD or thereabouts. And so you had another 38 years coming before this happened. So he was prophesying to them. He prophesied things coming, but he also prophesied the end. Notice what happens. He said, he said, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So he focuses in on Jerusalem. You've heard me say this before, that in 1948, Israel became a nation. A lot of people used to say, well, that's when the countdown started. I don't believe that. I believe the countdown started in 1967. Obviously, 1948 had to happen before 1967 could happen. But in 1967 is when Israel got back control of Jerusalem. And that's when the Gentiles quit trodden it down, running it over. Now, notice how Jesus talks here. He says, and he says, there will be signs in the sun. Let me back up. Let me back up to that verse first. He said, the Jews will be led away captive in all nations. And they were, right? They'll fall by the edge of the sword. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and one on the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift, your heads, lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. When you see Jerusalem no longer controlled by the Gentiles, that's why this hourglass is here. Uh, then you'll see these signs in the sun and the moon. We've been hearing a lot about blood moons and uh, eclipses. All that stuff's been picking up. Earth distress, perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. We've watched hurricanes get more aggressive and do more. All this stuff are signs, right? He said, men's hearts failing them for fear of expectation of those things that are coming on the earth. They will see the Son of Man coming with cloud and great glory. Now when the things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Then he says, he spoke in this parable, Look at a fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happen, happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this is strong language right here. This generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. What generation? The one that sees Jerusalem leave the Gentiles and go back under the control of the Jews. The one that starts seeing these signs in the heaven. But it all hinges with verse 24 there. That's when the countdown started. So that's where the terminal generation started. That's why you hear me say, I believe we're in the last days, that we're that terminal generation. We don't know the day nor the hour. The Bible speaks right, clearly about that. Nobody knows the day nor the hour. But I read to you last week from Thessalonians, Paul said, and let's go back there. Let's, let's run a couple of places here before we close. I know everybody's got family and stuff going on, but uh, in First Thessalonians, he says, this is why you got to read and keep everything in context. You can't take one. That's why we got 90,000 denominations because they take one verse and try to build a whole church on it. He says, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you know you have, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1, he says, Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that that day, all right, listen closely how Paul says this. 
of the Lord, so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. Have you all noticed how many people are saying in our world, we need somebody with some answers? We're getting primed for the Antichrist. He's going to show up and have all the answers, quote unquote. He says when they say peace and safety, then there's going to be destruction. Now listen to what he says in verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are the sons of the light, sons of the day. We're not of the night of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So in other words, we're going to know the season. We're not going to know the day or the hour. Don't even try to figure that out. Just know that you're in that generation of all the things Jesus described. And, and clearly, this has to do with Jerusalem. You might would argue with me and say, hey, well, they've had earthquakes. They've had hurricanes. Yeah, okay. Maybe they've had blood moons before. But Jerusalem, going back into the control of the Jews, they've not had that before. And that was what all this hinged on. And that's why we are living in the terminal generation. Let's go to Luke 21 one more time <coughs> before we close. So then he says uh, in verse 32, Surely this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. Now think how much emphasis he's putting on this. This generation will, not, will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth. What generation? The generation he just told us about that sees these signs starting with Jerusalem going back under the control of the Jews. And then these other signs, they start coming. He says, this generation will not pass away till all things take place. And then he emphasizes it again. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. I mean, keep it in context. We know that's a rule anywhere Jesus talks, right? Whatever he says is not going to pass away. It's going to happen, right? Whether it, we, don't, we know that. We know he's the king of kings, Lord, Lord, he's the word made flesh. But he says that in the context of the end of time and trying to give us some clues and you, you've heard people say that Jesus didn't speak of the rapture, but we see that he alludes to it. This is the only place in the Bible. And Paul said in Corinthians, when he starts talking about the rapture, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Some of us will be changed. The dead in Christ will rise first. Some of us will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Why do you think Paul was given that, that revelation to expound? Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was a Jew. But his ministry was to the Gentiles. And the rapture is going to be primarily made up of Gentiles because the Jews have rejected their Messiah. So all this stuff is fitted together beautifully by the Holy Spirit. But let's see what Jesus says here. He says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. Jesus is basically saying the same thing Paul's saying. You shouldn't be caught off guard if you're my follower, right? And then he says, he says, For it will come on a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But look what he says to his followers. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. What things? The things he just talked about, which are things that are going to happen during the tribulation period. 
the abomination of desolation, all those things. He says, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Finally, let's go to Revelation. You've been waiting on that, right? I'm going to read you three verses. And then we're going to close. And anybody that brought a turkey leg with them, leave it on the, ba- leave it on the fountain out back. When you... The revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Which God gave him to show his servants. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. To all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So, I'm going to close here. We got so many, some of them, a lot of them are preachers. They won't even get into the book of Revelation. Well, number one, they're missing out on a blessing. And how can you know to keep the things that are written in it if you don't study it? That word blessed is the same word that's used in the Beatitudes. Markarios. It means recipient of divine favor. If you read this book and study it and try to live it and incorporate it as part like you would any other book and not run from it, you'll be a recipient of divine favor. And we, can need, we need all that we can get. Amen. Now let me share one more thing with you before we quit. I want to remind you of this for tomorrow. This is Paul. Rejoice always. And God's, he's helping me with that. And I'm going to share something with you Sunday that I've not shared yet, that God taught me through all this that I went through. He said, rejoice always. That's our call. Even when we get persecuted and even when we go through hard times, we suffer in the flesh, whatever. Then look what he says. Pray without ceasing. Somebody said, how can I do that? Just keep your mind toward God. I can pray pray to drop the hat. I know many of you do that too, right? You don't have to have your eyes closed. You don't have to be on your knees. You might be on the job and need to call God down right there on the spot. Talk to him. You're his son, his daughter. He'll listen. And then he says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's not always easy to do. But we give off a testimony when we are thankful in all things. That's God's fragrance. You remember these guys in the New Testament? They... Rejoiced when they were persecuted and went to jail because they said God counted us worthy to suffer. If we suffer with Him, 
we will reign with him. And I'm, I'm wanting to do that, aren't you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for this time we've had together. I pray everybody will be able to fellowship tomorrow and be thankful and reflect on all the goodness you've brought in their lives. And pray for John and Drew and Ben, their whole family, what they're dealing with. We pray for the Gibson family, what they're facing tonight. We're thankful, Lord, that you're on our side. No matter what, you're on our side. Help us to be thankful tomorrow. Help us to be thankful in front of people that we might have been bashful about being thankful in front of before. Let us let them know that we know where our blessings come from. In Jesus' name.